Hey, and welcome back to the podcast. At the start of the year, I took my church through the letter to the Galatians. Now, this letter is short, but it's full to the brim with content. So enjoy as we grapple with how big Jesus is and how he changes everything. As I start, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can have your word. We thank you that you speak to us through it. We pray that as we look at the letter to the Galatians now, we will be challenged and uh, convicted where we need to be, but we'll see more of Christ and his gospel. Amen. Amen. So, we're looking at the letter to the Galatians. Be useful to have it in front of you. What's going on before this letter? You may know a little bit about it. Well, Paul's been travelling around. He's been preaching the gospel, and we get the story in the book of Acts. In fact, uh, one of the evenings last, last year, we uh, saw that passage in Acts. And as Paul goes around, he's converting people, and people are starting new churches. Here's, one of, here's the routes he went on. And one of those churches is in a place called Galatia. You can see it up here. It's going off there. It's in modern-day Turkey. And that's why it's called the letter to the Galatians, just in case you wondered. But as Paul leaves to carry on his journey, other teachers have come into the church. They claim that Paul didn't really have the full message, that he'd received it secondhand. But these people, these teachers, they said they had the real deal. They teach the church members that they have to become circumcised and they have to submit themselves to the Old Testament law in order to be saved. And that message has persuaded a number of the Galatians. So Paul is penning this letter in response to the disturbed or to the agitated Galatian church. Those are terms Paul uses later on in his letter. And it's been said that the first verses of a letter, like this one, are like the overture to a musical. I don't know if you've seen a musical before. If you've been to a musical or you've been to an opera, you'll know that the orchestra will play a piece of music at the start that picks up on the themes of the rest of the show before it actually begins. And this is what Paul's doing in his first five verses. He picks up on the themes that he's going to later develop in the rest of the letter. So we're going to see this evening that Paul writes with a God-given authority and a Christ-centred message. A God-given authority and a Christ-centred message. So let's have a look. Galatians 1, 1 to 5. So the first thing we see is a God-given authority. So the question is, who's written this letter? Feels a little bit like a Sunday school answer. If the answer's not Jesus, it's probably Paul. That's it, it's Paul. But have you ever stopped to ask yourself, why Paul? Why should I listen to a man, a relatively obscure man from the Middle East, who died over a millennium ago, writing to a church that has not existed for over a thousand years? There's many people today who say, why should I listen to Paul? And that's a similar question to what the Galatians are asking themselves. Why should I listen to Paul? over against these other more fancy teachers who seem to have come in. So Paul starts his letter off by outlining his authority. Now this isn't Paul being hurt, having his feelings hurt by people questioning him. It's not a selfish pride that he has that he might be looked down on. No, this is more important than that. You see, if Paul is shown to be untrustworthy, well, so is his message. Paul outlines his authority not for his own gain, but in defence of the gospel. You see, if Paul is shown to be untrustworthy, then so is the gospel that he's been spreading. 
And in verse 1, Paul identifies himself as an apostle. Now that's sometimes Christian jargon. It basically means someone who was sent and someone who carries a particular authority. And he says in verse 1 that that authority, that his apostleship, doesn't originate from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. Just notice a few things there. Paul is saying that he's not under any human authority. Some people claim that the Bible is under the authority of the church, that the church can add to it because the apostles were under their authority. But Paul here says the complete opposite. The authority he has hasn't come from the church. Instead, the church sits under the authority of God. That's why we as Christchurch Hemel make sure that we follow the Bible rather than let the Bible follow us. He's also saying that he hasn't been sent by another apostle. He's not under the control of another apostle. He's not a second-hand apostle. The agitators had persuaded the Galatians that Paul wasn't a real apostle. After all, he wasn't one of the original twelve. But Paul says, no, I'm not a second-hand apostle. Instead, I've been sent by Jesus Christ and God the Father. Paul's authority is coming from the very top. It's not coming from a man. He's claiming divine authority. His message is directly from God. And you see, if you reject Paul, you reject Jesus. That's the same today. If you reject Paul, you reject Jesus. Paul's authority is coming directly from him. And then he sticks in this rather peculiar addition. It says, he, or he says, Jesus Christ and God the Father, who, where is it, who raised him from the dead. This is another one of the big themes in Galatians that's appearing. Now, it always amazes me when I look back at some of the things that used to amuse me as a child. I don't know if you ever do that, or that's just something weird I do. One of the things that we used to do was a strange game that you might have played as well. It's a game where one person stands with their back to a wall, and the other people stand a few metres behind them. And they shout out, what's the time, Mr Wolf? Yeah, you recognise that? Yes. Each time the call is made, the person who is Mr Wolf for that round will shout back the time. What's the time, Mr Wolf? It's three o'clock. As long as that time isn't dinner time, the other people are safe. The aim is to get as close as you can to Mr Wolf before the person says it's dinner time. As soon as that's said, the game changes. You run. You run as fast as you can. And you don't run until the time changes. Well, for the Jews, for Jewish people, they had a different mindset. Obviously, they didn't have dinner time and main time. They had two different realms of time. They had the present age and they had the age to come. Resurrection, coming back to life, came with the world or the age to come. It didn't come before. It would be like shouting dinner time right at the start of the game of Mr. Wolf. You would never do that. It's not expected. Resurrection meant that the age to come was here. We're going to see some more of that in a moment. But for now, we see that the authority that Paul has, the apostleship he has, is God-given. He's going to go on to develop that in the next couple of chapters, as we'll see in future weeks. So that's who's writing the letter. Who is it to? Well, verse 2 tells us it's to the churches in Galatia. And he says, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our second point, a Christ-centred message. Paul, as an apostle, as one who is sent by Jesus Christ and God the Father, brings grace and peace from them. Do you see that? Grace is what enables the peace to happen. The root is grace, 
what's been done for us undeservedly, and the fruit of that is peace, what now flows from it. And that's the effect of the gospel that Paul then outlines in verse 4. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. On the cross, Jesus took our sin on himself and the punishment that that deserved. He died in our place. He gave himself for our sin. And what was the result of that? Well, Paul says it was to rescue us from the present evil age. What's the time, Mr. Wolf? Well, Paul shows us the time again. Christians have been rescued from the present evil age. You see, Paul is saying that the age to come has overlapped with the present evil age. And we know that this is a big theme in Galatians because Paul sticks it right at the end of the letter as well. If you have time, have a look at chapter 6, verse 15 later. It's kind of like a sandwich. The, this mention is at the beginning and at the end, and that means we know the middle is going to be connected to it. And the time issue is what the agitators, what the distractors have failed to grasp. Christians belong to the age to come. They don't belong to the old age. They don't belong to the present evil age. These false teachers, their main problem is they're trying to roll the clock back to before Jesus. Their understanding of what time is it is wonky. Their idea of what the cross did is askew. And this plan of Jesus giving himself for our sin to rescue us, it says there, was according to the will of our God and Father. It was God's will. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a mistake. And because of that, that gracious act of Jesus dying for our sins, rescuing us from the present evil age, according to God's will, well, we can have peace with God. Everything that is needed has been done by Jesus according to God's will. And that plan, that gracious plan of peace, brings God the Father glory forever and ever. That's how God chose to do it, and therefore he deserves the glory. Now, that should be a warning to the Galatians, five verses in. By listening and changing or distorting the gospel, they're downplaying what Jesus has done, And in doing so, they're taking the glory away from God. Can it be more serious than that? You see, this is going to be a fiery little letter. I'm excited to work my way through it. I don't know about you. But how does that apply to us today? What can we pray? That's what we do in the evenings. What can we pray in the light of it? Well, there's many things. But one big thing is to be careful who we listen to. That applies to the adults, it applies to the children. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful where you place authority. You see, a gospel message that is not God-given and not Christ-centred is not a gospel message at all. There are many people in this world who want to add to the gospel. Many who want to make it say what they want it to say. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus has done it all. There's nothing more that can be added And anything that is added is actually a subtraction. From prescribing Bible translations to dictating political views to widening the narrow gate as far as it will go, people distort the gospel and they lose the gospel message. See, a gospel message that is not God-given and not Christ-centred is not a gospel message at all. And it's possible to shrink the gospel as well, to deny that Jesus died for our sin. By just saying he was a good example. Or by saying it's not God's will that Jesus died, it was a cosmic mistake. Or as some people are fond of saying, rejecting the messenger 
rejecting Paul in this case. We must be careful to hold on to the gospel message. And as a church, we must be careful not to add or subtract from it either. We must be on constant alert that the gospel is the gospel. Well, there's some things to chew on. Why not let me know what you think by sending an email? The details are in the show notes. But until next time, get on with praising God this week.